Welcome to JFK and the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is episode 38. This is a single and relatively short episode about Emmett Hudson. I debated on whether to include Emmett in the narrative around the grassy knoll, but he was standing on the steps right underneath where a gunshot would have come from, so he was a material witness, or should have been. But what happens next throws that prospect up for grabs. I guess we just need to listen and see what happened. So, without further ado, let's listen to episode 38. There probably was nobody better to understand every little patch of ground in that corner of the Dealey Plaza. Nobody better than Emmett Hudson. And on that day, Mr. Hudson was standing on that set of steps. On the north side of Elm Street, that set of steps that gently curves as they make their way up to the top of the grassy knoll, where the top of the steps reach the picket fence. The set of steps closest to the underpass and to the west. He wasn't standing alone there on those steps. There was two other unrelated spectators within a step or two of him. You see, Mr. Hudson was employed by the City of Dallas Parks Department. His job was to take care of that ground, that ground right there in Dealey Plaza. Where he was standing was elevated from Elm Street, and from that position, he would have been in the direct line of fire if a shot or shots had come from the grassy knoll, and literally, he might well have felt the rush of air pass by his air as a shot found a path to the president's limousine. Unfortunately, instead of becoming a star witness, Mr. Hudson would answer a precious few questions, critical questions, so oddly that his testimony was not highlighted by the Warren Commission. In effect, he was a witness for neither side. In today's episode, it won't be the first in a number of puzzling statements made by witnesses that had close-up views of it all, but it may very well be the most peculiar. Mr. Hudson first gave an affidavit on the day of the assassination to the Sheriff's Department. He would later testify before the Warren Commission. Wesley Liebler, our now familiar and endearing Warren Commission attorney, would take the testimony and do the interview. Let's hear a few highlights. Mr. Hudson was standing on the steps when he heard three shots. He was clear about that, and his testimony right off the bat began with clear answers. And it seemed as if this witness was going to be providing credible testimony. Then, the first of two unusual statements came from Mr. Hudson. First, he would say that it was the second shot out of the three that hit the president in the head. This was unusual because it didn't comport at all with what the authorities had been hearing generally. But this group of grassy knoll witnesses, that is the witnesses that I have dubbed the grassy knoll witnesses because they were closest to the action and all in some close proximity to the grassy knoll, well, there was an interesting pattern emerging. A number of them had given testimony that there were shots after the final headshot. Emmett Hudson was not the only witness up to that point to say that. 
Mr. Liebler would ask him, you say that it was the second shot that hit him in the head. Is that right? Hudson responded back with a straightforward, yes, I do believe that. I know it was. Liebler would continue, you saw him hit in the head and there wasn't any question in your mind about that, was there? Almost mocking the witness. Mr. Hudson responded back, no, sir. Liebler would then ask him, after you saw him hit in the head, did you hear another shot? Mr. Hudson would say, yes, sir. Liebler then asked if Hudson had seen the third shot hit anything. Hudson would answer, no, sir. But I'll tell you this, a young fellow that was sitting there with me, standing there with me at the present time, he says, lay down. Somebody is shooting at the president. He says, lay down, lay down. And he kept repeating it. He was already laying down on the sidewalk. And so I just lay down over on the ground and resting my arm on the ground. And when that third shot rung out and when I was close to the ground, you, you could tell the shot was coming from above and kind of behind. At this point in the testimony, Liebler now was assured that he had a witness that was going to testify that the shots came from the depository. And so then he asked Hudson, how could you tell that? Hudson would respond, well, just the sound of it. And then later Liebler would ask his usual leading question. You heard it come from sort of behind the motorcade and then above. Hudson would then respond, yes. I don't know if you've ever laid down close to the ground, you know, when I heard the reports coming, but it's a whole lot cleaner than it is when you are standing up in the air. Okay, now I'm going to pause right there. As the witness has injected an interesting concept, basically that being down with your head close to the ground while listening to the shots produces a more accurate acoustic record for your brain to process. Not sure if there is any validity to it all, but it's worth asking the question at some point to an expert. Okay, back to the testimony. Hudson would reiterate that the second shot hit the president in the head, and he wasn't sure about the third shot. Well, Counselor Liebler would do what he was so good at doing. After reading so many of these interviews, I find this to be one of the more classic ones. Uh, a bit of a wander here. As a kid, my brother Dennis and I and our friend Mike used to like to play a game called Risk. You may be familiar with it. It's a military game where you move your forces strategically on a board that represents a world map. My brother always had a saying. He's full of these too. It's one place where I personally borrow them from in life. I'm not sure this one came directly from playing Risk, but I do remember it as being somehow attached to that game. Well, anyway, it, it goes something like this. He would make a move on the risk board and say, it's a frontal thrust, implying that rather than flanking the enemy, you would go right at them. This concept was true of some of the commission attorneys too, at times. Liebler would continue to weave in and out of the basket of discrepancies that Hudson seemed to be engaging in. Then, he finally finished it off by reiterating and asking one more series of questions. He asked, So, you only saw the president hit once. Is that right, sir? Hudson would say, Yes, sir. I just saw him hit once. And now, making this confusing mess of testimony even more confusing, Liebler would ask again about the only thing that seemed to be clear. He would ask Hudson, That was in the head? 
And Hudson would say, yes, sir. And finally, Liebler would ask, are you able to say from your own observation when he was hit in the neck? Hudson would answer, no, sir. Interestingly, Liebler and Hudson would get into a discussion about some of the freeway signs. To the astonishment of some listening, and certainly to Liebler at the time, Hudson was routinely answering a question about the position of the motorcade and began by saying there were two of them, meaning two signs. And as he began to point out on a picture slash diagram, it wasn't too far apart right through here. Them signs. One was uh, right along here and uh, the other was other further up. Hudson then pointing to the positions on the map that they were using. And then he would realize something. The sign. He would realize that the sign was not in that picture. And then it would come to him. And he would say, I don't believe uh, because they had moved some of those signs. Wait a minute. Well, pause right there. They had moved the R.L. Thornton freeway sign and put up the Stemmons sign. So you see, the commission was using certain pictures that had been taken after the signs were moved. Almost hard to believe that Dealey Plaza being somewhat of an active crime scene still, that they would have come out and actually moved those signs, especially when the authorities already knew there was still a possibility that one of the shots taken from the depository had hit a sign and ricocheted. Yes, some forensics had been done on that already, but certainly not exhaustive at that point. It's just one more example in this case where things happened, and it may have been in the normal course of getting on with life. But the fact that photographs were taken and used as evidence, photographs used in the most significant investigation in U.S. history that were incorrect, and in fact misleading renderings, in some ways, critical evidence that was used to determine line of sight for people viewing things, scenes, and potential shooters taking aim of target, and also positioning of the motorcade at certain points in the time sequence. You would just think that disruption of a material aspect of the crime scene would not have been overtly done by the authorities before those pictures were taken. After all, as I said, it was still an active investigation of the murder of the President of the United States. I'm just saying. Later in the testimony, Liebler would go back again and ask him if he knew the source of the shots. And Liebler would ask Hudson, but are you quite sure in your own mind that the shots came from the rear of the President's car and above? Is that correct? Hudson would answer with a simple yes. Then Liebler would, as expected, try to tie it back directly, asking the following question. Did you have any idea that they might have come from the Texas School Book Depository Building? Hudson was a little less definitive in his answer, saying, well, it sounded like it was high, you know, from above and kind of behind. Like, in other words, to the left. Liebler then pressed in classic Liebler style, asking slash saying, and then it would have fit in with the Texas School Book Depository, wouldn't it, Mr. Hudson? Mr. Hudson's obligatory litany was next. He would answer simply, yes.
After the confusion on which shot hit the president in the head, what would come next would seal the deal that Hudson's testimony had real problems to it. Liebler would ask Hudson, how much time do you think passed from the time the first shot was fired until the second shot was fired? Can you make any estimate about that? Hudson would simply reply, oh, probably two minutes. <laughs> Liebler, in total disbelief, then quizzically said, as much as two minutes? Hudson said, well, it might not have been that long. But his bizarre comment that there was almost two minutes in between the shots was still hanging in the air as the remaining portion of his testimony was taken and Liebler finished up the questioning. Liebler would thank him for his cooperation and Mr. Hudson would say in his final words to the commission, all right, good day. You know, I have to wonder, did he make that crazy comment about the two-minute gap just to signal to anyone listening that he wasn't a threat to say or tell anything, say something that might get traction as believable, especially if he actually saw more? It almost strikes me as a defensive statement made by an older man who may have actually seen something and may have just been scared to death. But regardless, the bottom line of his sworn testimony is that his sworn testimony was unremarkable and certainly on the surface does contradict others that say shots came from the grassy knoll. <laughs> but the two-minute comment throws his entire testimony into question. And maybe that is exactly what he wanted to happen. Thank you for listening to episode 38 of JFK, The Enduring Secret. 